0: You know, when after I looked at it, after I calmed down a little bit, I, I looked at it,
2: and he was his head was to the side, and he was going to the side, and if he had just rolled, it'd been. He, but he, he kind of pumped him into the turf, so I actually think that was a good call.
3: Kevin Seifert, ESPN.com, joins how us now. I? Wait, wait. Here's the key. Kevin Kevin has become in in his old age a rules expert. So how surprised were you when you heard the soundbite of Zim agreeing that the poor linebacker, who, as far as I was concerned, had a textbook sack of the Jaguars quarterback, uh, that Zim said that was a good call, Kevin Seifert?
4: Well, I'm going
0: to assume that, uh, that
4: Mike Zimmer made that decision and statement based on his years of experience knowing that whenever the NFL identifies a point of emphasis, for the year, and that rule uh, about driving quarterbacks or other players into the ground unnecessarily is a point of emphasis this year. He knows as much as anybody that they're going to call anything that's remotely resembling that during the preseason. So in that context, I'm sure he understood exactly why um, Sean Hockley's crew called that. Uh, he may be amongst many who is assuming and hoping regular season comes it won't be called quite to that extent, Um, but we all, I think, were prepared for the warning shots, so to speak, uh, during the preseason because that's a point of emphasis.
2: What is your expectation then for what this looks like in the regular season? I mean, if we're going to have press conferences where we're talking about pumping someone into the turf too much, (laughs) that's just A, too weird for me, but B, like that's going to be ridiculous. It's all we're going to end up talking about. This isn't what it's going to look like, right?
4: No. Historically, uh, whenever a point of emphasis comes up, you see it, the numbers of the penalty go up wildly in the preseason, mostly because the reason it's a point of emphasis is that the NFL, through its annual film study, had identified too many instances where they felt the actual penalty uh, should have been called, but wasn't. And uh, over time, sometimes that happens, that Officials, not say lose track of it, but it becomes less of uh, of a concern as something else, um, and that takes the greater stage. So, the reason they made it a point of emphasis is they felt uh, the real instances of the of the penalty weren't being called. And so, the strategy is go to the preseason, uh, call everything in sight, remind everybody that yes, in fact, this rule occurs, uh, this rule exists, and will be called, and then go into the preseason and just do a better job of catching the ones that are actually um, instances of them, if that makes sense. Historically, when that happens, the numbers skyrocket in the preseason. Everybody freaks out. And then in the regular season, they're still higher than the previous year. But that's in part because the previous year, it was determined that it wasn't called enough. And so I think there'll be more of those penalties called this year than there were last year. But I don't think that uh, historically it is very rare if ever when these points of emphasis over the course of the regular season match what happened in the preseason
3: and the driving the quarterback into the ground rule is not even the big one the bi- the yeah. big one which i don't believe has been called on the purple through 2 games is the is the helmet to helmet rule yeah. uh how's that going to look and i have a very simple question that i don't get as much as college sports drive me crazy, Kevin, I think they got one thing right, which is if I'm going to eject a guy, I can go look at a replay. And if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong to that degree, the 15 yard penalty is still intact, but the ejection doesn't happen. Why are we asking these officials to, to make decisions that could definitely alter outcomes of games and playing time for guys? Um, when, when there would at least be the, or there should be the ability to, if I eject you, I can go look and say, I might have been too aggressive there, and you're not ejected.
4: Well, I got good news for you. They are supposed to be reviewing them. Um, we may not agree with the decision they made to uphold that one ejection that you're referring to that, that happened, um, but they are, in fact, uh, allowed to, and, and expected to review it and assume, and ensure that if someone's being ejected, it was because they clearly and obviously didn't take advantage of the opportunity to pull up or get out of the way and that they intentionally just from a large running start uh, you know you know ram their head right into a guy lower their head and, and, and ram their head right into their guy in a flagrant and obviously unnecessary unnecessary manner and listen so to that, you huh listen to you going through the rule I almost sound like Sean Hawk you a flagrant uh, no yeah uh, I don't I don't sound like he knows much more than me but uh, the point is they are going to eject, and um, you know that's that's the uh that's that was one of the sticking points that I thought would always keep the NFL away from any kind of rule is that they never have wanted to add subjective rules like this to replay. They only wanted to have the objective rules you know was he in bounds, was he over the line was he was his knee down those sort of things that you can tell objectively, and you don't have to. Essentially, grade an official's judgment uh, from the replay booth, but there's no other way to have this rule than to do it. Um, as far as your first question uh, on how it's going, I it's pretty much to me as expected. There's been you know there's been some very questionable calls, but I think they're averaging like one and a half of these penalty helmet rule penalties a game. Um, so you know when you figure this, what seventy plays plus special teams over the course of a game. It's not happening with the frequency and, and chaos that at least the numbers that we thought it would. But the few that have been controversial have received outsized uh, criticism and hand-wringing and, you know, we're going to flag football and all the rest. And so that isn't unusual from some of the other rule changes we've seen. So it's—it's it's had it's, it's been a chaotic and panic-inducing rollout, but if you – Have been through these before. You know that that's happened with other rules as well.
2: So, what is the uh, biggest adjustment for safeties, especially? It seems like they're getting called for it the most. And anyone who is going to get near a NFL quarterback this season,
4: don't lower your head. You know, I think so much of the of the discussion has been like, how is he supposed to not hit the guy with his head? How is he supposed to? You know, get get around to the point where it's only your shoulders, and the rule doesn't necessarily say that. What it says that if you do make contact with your helmet,
1: you your head
4: has to be up. You know, if you lower your head and you're looking down, um, that's where the NFL's health and safety people say you are increasing your risk uh, for a spine or, or injury or a brain injury, and so that's the posture they're trying to to get out. But it doesn't mean that your head can't ever touch the other player um, because I do think that we all recognize that that in itself would be a impractical and pretty much uh, you know impossible task. but there's been a lot of times when you see you know, you've seen I've seen on Twitter people posting uh you know short videos or gifs or whatever and and saying, well you know how you know I mean how he supposed to not touch the guy well I think what the NFL is arguing, and I guess we'll find out over time, is can you approach the guy with your head up um, and not with your head down? And so that is, and I'm no expert in terms of whether that can physically be done. Uh, many players I've talked to have said it can't. <laughs> yep. And many players who I've, said, who I've talked to said they think it can, as long as they're not calling every... You know, they're not sitting there with a protractor and measuring whether the head, the angle is down or up. That, you know, if, if a guy's eyes are up, then that's going to be good enough. But I think the one thing that people should keep in mind, that it, they're not going to call a penalty simply because your helmet touched the other player. It has to be in that posture when your head is down. And when your head is down and you touch the player, the other player, it's going to first initiate contact with it. They want to call those penalties to keep you from – give you incentive to, to keep your head up and keeping your head up and seeing what you hit is not an, a new concept in football. Um, it's something that, that is taught uh, and has been taught for generations, but that, if, if the question is what can players do, it just do your very best to keep your head up. And my guess is that that whenever the head drops, even if it doesn't, you, know, you don't really initiate a lot of contact with the other player. That's what the referees are going to be looking at. If they see that posture, they're going to be much more likely to call, call a flag, even if you didn't end up making a lot of contact with the other player.
3: What stood out on your uh, lengthy training camp tour, sir, which I think you told me was what, eight teams, ten teams? A lot yeah, of teams.
4: About, uh, nine teams, uh, ten days. I That's started what in Kansas City and made my way up through uh, – Through the NFC North and through the AFC North, and then down through Baltimore, Washington, and Atlanta, Um, it was interesting. It might have just been a coincidence, but I only saw I think one or two full pads practices throughout that whole time. Um, You know, we hear so much about how little time these teams have to get ready because of the off season and the CBA, uh, and and that you have to take advantage of every practice. I saw a lot of of, of, you know practices in shells and, and no pads and. Guys just going through mental reps, so that to me was interesting. I don't know if that's a league-wide trend or not, but in if you sample ten, you know, practices and you only see a couple of, of full pads practices, that's an interesting uh, thing to note from a big picture perspective. I talked to a lot of people about this this rule and and also about the bigger picture of whether players even want the if they want the NFL to be in charge of protecting them um from these kind of injuries, if they trust the NFL motives and uh and there's a lot of uh differing views on that. I was surprised at how many of the players said, you know what, just let me protect myself. I know what's best for myself. Don't tell me what kind of helmet I can wear. Don't tell me how to tackle. Just let me just trust me that I'm not gonna try to kill myself out there and I'm gonna you know, let let me make the decision about what's best for me. And there's a lot of players though who feel like, look, you know, I I, I I wanna you know, I wanna have grandkids, I wanna know my grandkids. I don't wanna I realize that I signed up for a very physical and physically destructive game, but it doesn't mean that I should just give up on that and say, Well, if I signed up for it I have to take whatever I can get. I want there to be progress, I want there to be innovation, I want there to be uh improvement, I want them to always have uh my health and safety in mind. And so it was just a really interesting cross section of players who um have a lot of very strong opinions about how the NFL has approached this off season with these rules, you know, we forget about the kickoff rule. We forget that, uh, 10 different helmet styles got uh, banned. It was a big effort on a lot of different levels and it has sparked a lot of thinking and a lot of big picture, you know, I guess philosophizing by people like me and, uh, and we'll see where it leads, but at least the conversation is being had out in the open now and it's not something that gets, uh, you know, Swept under the rug.
2: Uh, you know, sometimes I think of it like there are still people who think that uh, they don't want to be told to wear seatbelts because yeah. they don't want the man telling them what to do. And like, well, yeah. okay, but that's that's not very smart. So we should yeah. try to do the most we can, considering what a lot of players went through. Um, Kevin. How about these uh, Minnesota Vikings? Uh, I mean mm-hmm. I, I know you've been busy it sounds like uh, since you mentioned protractors and philosophizing yeah. um but when it comes
4: when-, <laughs> <at this point. laughs>
2: when it comes to but when it comes to this team, uh Jud and I you'll be surprised Judd's worried about something, but I I can validate that with this offensive line and it it just has this 2016 feeling to it yeah. here through here through the preseason. are you kind of getting that same sense?
4: Well I mean I guess it's not quite that bad yet they're not signing players off the street to start uh, you know they haven't played for the entire since uh, Jake long type situation and, and then starting them two di- weeks later but it might come to that I guess I guess the, the thing that really made me sit up was when you get to training camp and you base you've hardly even had any practices and you're already hearing about the Nick Easton thing where, you know, you lost one starter. That's a bad way to start, especially when you also don't have your center back yet. But I do, and they'll get F-line back eventually. Um, there's no indication that they're doing being anything other than cautious with his offseason stuff. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, and none of the injuries that are going on right now, other injuries I don't think are serious enough that you start to wonder whether you're going to have them for the course of the season, other than Easton, obviously. And so I'm not quite there yet, but if you, like, believe in the subjective, you know, auspicious, uh, uh, you know, avalanche of news that has already occurred, then it's definitely worth worrying about. Um, I don't think they're quite at a 2016 level quite yet.
3: Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Okay guys. Talk to you later. Kevin Seifert uh, check out his work does a great job espn.com. He uh, he is uh their rules expert and also uh <laughs> writes about he he is. I mean, the guy knows more about rules now. And in this league, if we start, you start calling have to have him, it.
2: if we start calling him Kevin Hockley, like will he be okay with that? No, he'd be offended. <laughs> and he should
3: be. Like I said. I mean, I don't I felt bad for uh, for Sean Hockley on Saturday because of all this crap that they've got to try and look for and impose. But he clearly in calling in that crew, calling twenty penalties throughout the course of that game. He embraces the mic just like his old man did. He's got to oh, bulk yeah. up though. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's got to get the arms right. He's got because yeah. Ed Ed had the he's got time. Ed had the can and arms. Sean's got gotta get to the workout. Is Ed still around? I mean, I thought he was there last year. Is he? He's he just, retired. He retired. Oh, they had like if you Google this, they have had like three or four prominent referees retire mm. since two thousand and um, seventeen. Hockeyly retired, the guy that worked the Super Bowl retired, and he took and they're all taking TV jobs. They're all now experts on TV. It's a better job. You get paid more, and you don't have to put up with this crap. So let's take a break. Uh, come back. Let's talk about Teddy. How about that? Because Teddy is going to, I think, be the starter
5: for the Jets. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment.
0: Do I have your word on that, sir?
5: Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Do you want exclusive
6: access to U.S. Bank Stadium? Well, then purchase your tickets now for CCFA's A Touch of Football flag football tournament on September 8th. Flag football teams will take over the field in a six-on-six tournament to raise money for the Crohn's Colitis Foundation. The day also includes exclusive stadium tours, memorabilia auction, 1500 ESPN fan zone, and more. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com keyword events. And this portion of Mac and Judd is sponsored by It's Just Lunch.
3: Bill will join the show at 11 a.m. Uh, in until then with me. And by the way, so here's, here's the list. Since the end of last season, uh, NFL referees who decided to retire, Gene Steratore, Ed Hockley, Jeff Triplett, Terry McCauley. So four prominent officials have decided to retire since that time. So that's your list. Uh, let's talk Teddy because I am, I am now convinced more than ever that opening day for the Jets He will be their quarterback.
2: I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't. I have no idea what they are going to do with Sam Darnold, with Josh McCown, with Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, they're in good shape there. It would not not make a whole lot of sense to me to start Josh McCown Mm -hmm. here because there's no ceiling. If Josh McCown is your backup quarterback, he's just a highly paid backup quarterback, and that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with Teddy, he's like, what, 25?
3: I think your computer's turned up.
2: Is it something straight sure? up? Okay, I don't think so. Unless it's me, are you, are you just hearing? Are you lo- hearing lo-
3: things again, old man? Noises. I just yeah. heard noises.
2: Yeah, I don't hear anything. All right. Um. So with uh, with Teddy, he has played so well, and mm-hmm. he's put some drive behind the ball. His arm looked even stronger than it did in 2015. Mm-hmm. He has shown some mobility. He took off at one point. So, some touch. The the same sort of leadership and pocket presence that he had before. Like, he's in total control when he's out there. I mean, he's looked like Teddy Bridgewater, that he is back. And if you have him as your quarterback, then you have a guy who's 25 or 26 years old with still plenty of career to go if that knee holds up, and maybe it works out really, really well for you. Um, But also, Sam Darnold has played well, and he's reportedly looked very good in practice. So that puts them in a tough spot, but I think if you're them, they should go the Alex Smith model, which is yes, start Teddy Bridgewater for this whole year. Yes, Hope that you go nine and seven or something. It's not a great team, but the AFC is brutal. So maybe you go nine and seven, and then Teddy has a decent year, and you trade him away to a team that's quarterback desperate next year. I don't really love the idea of sending him to Tampa Bay. It's, it's three games that... Jameis Winston is suspended. Mm-hmm. So then what? I mean, are you going to bench him? Are you going to trade something and then bench him after three games? Or what are you going to do there? Are you going to leave Jameis on the bench? I mean, it just puts them in a weird position. So I, I don't think trading him right now that there's any real good options. It's much better for them to just start him. And Sam Darnold was the youngest quarterback out of all the guys drafted. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's no, you're not going per- to hurt no, him that's, to sit on the bench. That's the point.
3: The point is, yes, exactly. And, okay, so Teddy signed a one-year deal with the Jets. So he's going to play this year and then be back on the market. So they can't trade him next March. But what you could do is if you get, if he starts and plays well and your team's, let's say your team's good but certainly not great, and, and you feel, Collar, that by week six or so that Darnold can start, someone's going to need a quarterback by then. I mean, Jacksonville continues to come to mind. There's no. Is there any yeah. way that Jacksonville? Because I think Jacksonville defensively is still a really good team. So if you're Jacksonville and you're good, but because your quarterback is is Blake Bortles, you're not great. That's the type of team to me that's that will have to say we've got to do something here. And and yes, we we would have to change things offensively somewhat
2: if we brought in a different quarterback. But who cares? Blake Bortles is throwing the football to opponents. Yeah. And he and he's never even shown signs of being good. I mean, he's a guy that has a big strong arm and he's a real good athlete. He's all those things that they talk about and kind of miss obvious stuff sometimes with quarterbacks. Josh Allen's another example of this, and we'll see how it works out. But it's the classic Man, you've seen this guy's arm. Look at how tall he is. Look at how big his hands are. it's just, okay, yeah, but can he play the football real good? Yeah, and the the answer is no. And the answer is no. And with Teddy, you know, he drops in the draft because, oh, his pro day wasn't that great. As if all that tape in Louisville of him, you know, beating Miami and making great touch throws and all that sort of stuff doesn't matter. It's the pro day that really matters. Um, so they just twist themselves into a ball at draft time and end up with players like Blake Bortles. But sticking with him is so bizarre to well, me. Right. And
3: and to what you said in hour one is sticking with him when you just had a market and draft that had a lot of options. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it'd be different if if the market of... Available quarterbacks back in March had been just terrible, and you're like, "Well, right. I mean, yeah, we could do something, but we, but it's going to be difficult." But you had, I mean, you name me how many of the available options would you say that you wouldn't make the change right now from Bortles to that guy? I mean, I, would, I mean, I'd say I would even go five, Bra-
2: seven. I would go Bradford, yeah, definitely, easily, definitely.
3: And yeah. now I, I would want a competent backup because I'm afraid that Sam can't stay healthy. But if you
2: came to me and said, "Okay," Go back to Bortles or take a chance on Sam's health. I'm going Sam. How many quarterbacks in the NFL right now can you think of that you would rather have Blake Bortles than them? Is there any that are starting for an NFL team this year? Thank because e- because even if you have Josh Allen, I don't believe in Josh Allen, but he's a rookie. Yeah, and the, so bills, the
3: bills came to mind immediately, but then I started to There's still that possibility,
2: it. right. So maybe like A.J. McCarron, but he's not really their guy. He's just kind of a... Guy they signed. This is a really good question. I don't know that there's another quarterback. I, I mean, mean,
3: I'd rather have, I don't, multiple teams have two. I don't like Winston that much, but I'd take him over Bortles. Okay.
2: I, the only reason would be the personality. Sure, I mean, but I'm just, just saying, as a quarterback. but I'm just yeah. saying,
3: just if we're talking about quarterback capabilities, so do I go Bortles or Winston? I think I go Jameis. The, the
2: Jets have two you would easily take, maybe three. I mean, Josh McCown was pretty good last year, yep. but at least two. I'm not going to get too crazy on Josh McCown. So sure. let, let's at least two there. The Arizona Cardinals have at least two, with Josh Rosen and Sam Bradford. So there are there are multiple teams who have two quarterbacks. Cleveland, my gosh, you would take Tyrod oh, that's not even or close. Baker Mayfield that's not over close. Bortles. There are three teams that have two quarterbacks that you would easily take over the Jaguars quarterback. And they had all these opportunities yeah. and didn't take them. It's weird. Uh, but it would be really hard on Teddy, though, at this point in the game to send him there, wouldn't it? I mean, oh, yes, it would You're but at a point where he's just learned the Jets offense. But if I'm and Jacksonville, send him down there.
3: If I'm Jacksonville and I've just watched the absolute dreck that I watched the past week here, I don't know how you're sitting there saying, we'll still do this. And they clearly are. They've made their bet. I mean, it's their fault. But I don't know how you sit there. And it would be difficult on Teddy, but I will give Teddy this. If anyone can adjust and adapt, he can. Yeah, that's true. Because he's never going to, he, he, the thing that makes him such a part of what, what makes him such a good guy, I think is he looks at everything and says, I can do it, which is in this case, exactly what you would have to have. Yep. He's never going to be like, I can't do that.
2: I don't think they're going to do anything. I think no, the I Jaguars think are going to stay pat And with Teddy, here's another part of it is all of these. So no one's gotten hurt at least yet, as Mm -hmm. far as quarterbacks in the preseason. Usually there's one, but Mm -hmm. no one's gotten hurt. All these teams have solutions right now. Whether they're great solutions or not, we'll find out with some of the rookies, but they all have solutions. Almost every single team. I don't remember ever a time that, going back to start a year, where I would have said, yeah, every single team is pretty set. We were talking about, like, 90s backups and stuff earlier. And remember how many teams would have like three quarterbacks play in a season? I mean, the Vikings were one of them, where you'd have Salisbury and Rich Gannon going back and forth from game oh, yeah. to game. Yeah. That is not Early
3: the case no. really
2: at all anymore. No. Uh, James Murphy, what's coming up in stuff that we should know
3: about?
6: Well, the Cleveland Browns will be making their third consecutive appearance and stuff. I just can't get
5: enough of them. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. It's live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, man. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Stop. Stop. You like that? You like that? Stop, 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 stop. What Twin City sports fans are chanting for right now? Mackie and Judd continue with stuff you should know about. Zolgan
3: and Kala right now, and James Murphy, what do you have for us in stuff that we should know about? No! All right, boys, we're going to start right here.
5: Swung on and missed in his third strikeout. Urania would love to finish what he started. And he does! Jose Urania with his first career complete game.
6: That, of course, was uh, Judd's favorite pitcher, Jose Urania, ca- capping off a one-hitter yesterday against the Nationals. is currently appealing his six-game suspension, so and his next start would actually be against the Atlanta Braves. However, Marlon skipper Don Mattingly, he said Ureña would be held out of that series even though he's next up to go in that series regardless of what happens with his appeal.
3: How did he not get three weeks is still beyond me. It's I, just um, absolutely crazy.
2: Broadcasted minor league games for him.
3: At did one you really? Point. Yeah, Jamestown Jammers. And he had no control then, I take uh, it?
2: No, he had good control. Yeah, he exactly. was a good pitcher. I remember having a conversation with a scout who thought he was going to be a big leaguer, and that scout was correct. Um, yeah, he deserved much longer suspension, but it is very obvious that Major League Baseball, and this has just been for the last, I don't know how many years, that it's clear that they don't care about guys getting thrown at they don't care about the bench clearing brawls maybe they see it as something to talk about that it's a long season and when you have one of those that every one debates it and talks about it and shows it on sports center and when they're desperate for any sort of attention maybe they don't mind as much as they would like you to think because a six game suspension certainly screams that they don't really care
6: By the way, Joe, this one's for you. Uh, Keith Hernandez actually doubled down on his take over the weekend.
1: I only needed to see it once, and that's uh, all I have seen it, and uh, my opinions haven't changed. I don't think the pitch was uh, that bad, to be honest with you. It wasn't anywhere near the head. I was very clear in the booth uh, that I draw the line on anything from the neck above, head hunting, and also with a pitcher with an intent to hurt. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes you have to brush people back. This is an incredible streak that Acuna's on right now, and a home run streak to boot Uh, the pitch. What I saw, it started out on the inner half, uh, a little bit on the inside corner and ran inside. It was around waist level. Acuna could have turned his back. Who knows? It's it's split second. But he did drop his elbow to deflect the ball, and uh, unfortunately he got hit in the elbow, and that's one place you don't want to get hit. If he hadn't gotten his elbow there, he would have been hit in the side by the waistline or in the small of his back and everything would have been fine. I'm just, I'm done with this. I'm done with him. That's it,
2: idiotic. <laughs> that that breakdown, though, was hysterical. I, mean, I know. Well, if he moved a different way, it would have hit him in the small of his back. But be <laughs> hard, it would have been fine. Like, but he, he admitted it would be it hard to move. To move. Don't he not throw at somebody. It could have broken the guy's elbow, basically. How about we just don't throw yeah. at anyone ever because it's really dumb. Especially if you can't control it. Woo! <laughs> Which you could.
5: Heiser a bullet to the end zone and it is a touchdown for Josh Gordon, his first since the 2014 season.
6: Yeah, Josh Gordon announced over the weekend via social media that he will be returning to the Browns after taking time to work on his overall health and treatment plan. Josh Gordon will join Jarvis Landry and soon possibly does Brian in a talented Cleveland
2: receiving corps. I can't wait for Hard Knocks tomorrow night, Matthew Collar. I can't wait. So I haven't gotten to the second episode yet. I'm a little behind here. Catch up. Watched it
6: last night, actually.
2: Brian to tape, man. Um, so... <laughs> with with Josh Gordon coming back, it really does make Cleveland the most fascinating team because he, Josh Gordon, when he's playing, is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. It's just they, they can't get him on the field anywhere near enough for whatever reason. And I also thought that he got railroaded. I mean, the suspensions that he was getting for the infractions, I mean, What? Like, uh, one was an alcohol test. Like, uh, what? And then there was the weed thing. And what are we punishing players for these things I mean, that, we don't are, like weed. that you're allowed National to football, do in Colorado? National Football like, League does not like, e- even if you play for the Seahawks or Broncos, we don't want the, you smoking weed, despite the, the fact that it's
3: legal in those states.
2: The cases. weed thing yeah. is the biggest fraud there is. Because they want to make it seem like, no, we care about player health and that's what we really want we want yeah. them the so weed think's the next thing uh, yeah, to go right but, but what it, oh it, it certainly the NBA is in the gotten, next cba just take it out but, but most leagues have kind of been like all right you need to do like so much crazy weed to get in trouble in yeah. the in major league baseball or in uh the nba i don't yeah. even know if baseball tests for it but like the nba you got to do it a ton of times and be tested so many times yeah. it's just it, it's really improbable But the NFL does it, I think, as a marketing thing. Like, they know that a lot of people think that NFL players are criminals. So what they want to be able to say Uh, is, we've got them under our thumb. That was
3: Goodell's platform. When Goodell took the job, the law and order commissioner. That was his platform. Woo! The Browns just can't stay out of stuff. Uh, You guys both
6: mentioned that you've been tuning into Hard Knocks. You both have seen the first episode. You may have noticed in that first episode, Brogan Roback, the fourth string quarterback uh, for Cleveland, referred to Tyrod Taylor as Tyrod instead of Tyrod. Oh, yeah. I've
3: seen this whole thing. And This is so training camp.
6: I I just figured he just made a mistake, and then it came out over the weekend that the, the both Tyrod Taylor Torod Taylor, and the Browns announced that, no, his name is Tyrod Taylor. It's not Tyrod Taylor. And that he's just been letting people call him Tyrod yeah. since college. And it, he uh, uh, a note came out that Lee Corso was the first to actually call him Tyrod in college, and he just let it stick. And it's, it's, it's been uh, pronounced wrong ever since. This
3: is the Granlin, Gronlin, yes. Doc Emmerich thing from a couple of years right. ago where the person doesn't care.
2: Taylor yes. doesn't care. I was he thinking just the care. exact same thing. Is that Tyrod is now an unofficial member of the National Hockey League? Yep. Because this happens all Welcome the aboard. time. Yes. Dubnik. Dubnik, Yes. Granlund, Gronland Like, and it's, it's Gran. The, the family says Gronland.
3: and he doesn't care. Yeah. So he's just like whatever. And so yeah, this and whole then from time to time. This though, is so tra- change, but this is such a training camp obsession because we're so bored right now. How do you really pronounce your name? <laughs> Talk to and, me about your
2: name. And, and, and this is a great story. That your was the quarterback, thing, like in Buffalo, no one ever said it's Tarod or Tarod. How is yeah. it said?
6: Tarod, is, tarod. Is, is,
2: is
3: what he's going with. Yeah,
2: it doesn't even make any sense. How does a Y I form just, an U? Uh? I just
3: like the fact that Lee Corso defined how your name would be pronounced in public for the rest of your adult life.
2: I mean, it looks so T Y R O D. Yep. I don't know that'd be like no i'm not i couldn't you know i'm what? not mike i'm uh exactly <laughs> leave it exactly <laughs> leave it alone like, okay leave it alone it's fine
3: thank you james uh let's uh take a break come back talk about uh, steven gonsalves's first twin start uh tonight with jake depew does a great job covering the twins for us at 1500 espn.com that's right around the corner
5: don't go anywhere more Mackie and judd coming up next okily dokily on 1500 espn Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. You got two incompetent <laughs> buffoons mixed up there. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yes. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
3: We'll be at full strength uh, at 11 a.m. Phil is going to uh, join the show until 1 o'clock. After that, it will be GL joining us now on the phone line. Jake DePue, who covers the Twins for us, does a great job writing about the Twins and about their minor leagues uh, for 1500ESPN.com. Appreciate your time as always, sir. Uh You are on primarily to tell us about Steven Gonzalez because we've been hearing about this kid for quite some time. He's going to make his uh, big league debut tonight against the White Sox at Target Field. Uh, what is your expectation of what we should expect from this kid?
0: Yeah, so Gonzalez is is certainly a, a good prospect. He's currently number five uh, in the Twins organization. He's he fits more into sort of the, the crafty lefty mold than uh, the power throwing lefty. He's not he's not Chris Sale, right? He's not going to throw 97, 98. Um, he sits about 90, 91 with the fastball, uh, but the changeup is really his plus pitch. So he's he's got a great changeup that he gets a lot of swing and miss with. Uh, he throws that in the low 80s. And then he has a slider, uh, which is still he's still sort of developing that. I'm not sure that's totally major league ready at this point. Um, and then there's a big loopy uh, curveball that sits in the low 70s, kind of like a David Wells, if you remember David Wells' curveball. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, very, very sort of loopy and, and slow. So um, fastball changeup are his two primary pitches, and, and it's really, again, the changeup that, that uh, gets a lot of swing and miss and gets a lot of strikeouts.
3: Now I saw that early in the year it looked like uh control and walks were an issue and that uh and that he got that under control eventually. What was that was that a career long problem that he finally got some control of or or was that something that was actually surprising at Rochester when he had trouble uh, with walking guys
0: Jake? Yeah, it was surprising because it he, throughout his career he really hasn't had issues with walks until this season. Um, and, and you're right, walks have been been a major issue. It's, it's been a little bit better of late, but uh, but it really has been a season-long issue. He has a, a walk rate that's around 13%, which is high, translates to almost five walks uh, per nine. Um, and I talked to Derek Salvey about that in Boston, and he basically said that part of the reason for his control issues is that he's trying to, to pitch backwards more. Um, in other words, he's throwing you know, curveballs, breaking balls, in fastball counts, because he knows he's going to need to do that once he gets to the big leagues. And so that's sort of why he attributed, or, or part of the reason he attributed the the, the walk rates uh, being high, is just that he's he's pitching a little bit differently than mm-hmm. he was in single A and double A, where he knew he could just get guys out on his fastball and change up. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see, but it, it, it has, you're right, it, it's been an issue, and so that's certainly something to, to look for tonight, and throughout the rest of the season. Do you see
3: him uh, making his debut tonight and staying here, or is this one where where it's not going to be surprising if he stays here for a few weeks uh, and then starts next year at uh, AAA again? What do you think?
0: Well, I definitely think he's going to stay the rest of the season, assuming he stays healthy. I mean, it's clearly audition time, right? I mean, if you're throwing Cole Stewart out there, uh, (laughs) there's no reason not to to put Gonzalez out there for the rest of the year. So I think... You know he'll he'll get seven or eight starts here for the rest of the season, and that'll probably go a long way to determining whether he starts next year in the rotation or or back at Rochester. But he's a legitimate prospect, and he's he's somebody they value. Um, And so, whereas I think with Stewart, it's sort of like let's take a last look at him before we you know maybe DFA him. Mm-hmm. Um with Gonzalez, it's more let's get his feet wet in the majors and get him ready for next year where hopefully he'll be in the rotation.
3: September 1st, give, give me your best guess about how, how many guys we're going to see uh, from the AAA team.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot. Um, there are a number of relievers. Boosinitz obviously just got called up. Uh, Jake Reed is a guy that, that we've been talking about for a while as a big fastball. One reliever I'm really interested in seeing is Nick Anderson. Um, so he's a, an interesting story. I wrote about him for the site earlier this year. Um, he has a huge strikeout rate. He's striking out like 35% of the batters he faces. He's from Minnesota, um, so a good sort of local angle there. Uh, but, but yeah, he has a fastball that sits in the upper 90s, um, came out of independent ball, and he's just risen really quickly through the ranks. So I'm interested to see him. Um, obviously, Buxton. I mean, Buxton yeah. at this point is a minor leaguer, which is weird to say. But, um, you know, uh, assuming he stays healthy... Uh, for the next two weeks, which is of course no guarantee, uh, we'll see him. Um, I would hope. Uh, Lamont Wade is another guy, an outfielder um, who has really high uh, a really high on base percentage. He's, That's your guy. He's interesting. That's my guy. That's your guy. That's you guy. love Lamont Wade. Oh, I'm president of the Lamont Wade. I know you football. are. I, I am. I, I hype him nonstop. If if he busts, I don't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to ever get over it. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, he, he'll be interesting. Romero might be back up. I actually wouldn't be shocked, guys, if they don't bring Romero back up, only because his innings, I mean, he's already surpassed his career high in innings. Sure. Uh, right, and it's only mid-August. So uh, they might shut him down at the end of the season just because they don't want to risk his his armor. They might give him a few starts and then shut him down, you know, midway through September. So we may or may not see him. Zach Littell. Um, there are a couple other guys. I'm not like, excited guys, by
3: that, Jake Depew. You're not excited, Zach Lattell. You've you've lost me now, Lamont.
0: Wait, I'm excited about
3: Zach Lattell. L- I draw listen. the line.
0: <laughs> I get it, but Zach Lattell, you cannot judge a 22 <laughs> year old pitcher on three major league innings, right? I believe he's pitched yes. three major league innings, one of which was they brought him in in the 10th inning Very of a fair. tie game okay. in Milwaukee. Compelling case. Yeah, yeah so I, I I get it. He he was bad, there's no question, in, in his very small sample in the big leagues. Uh-huh. But he was nervous, and he admitted he was nervous. Salvi told me he was nervous. Um, so, he, he's an intriguing prospect to me. He's, he's a back-end starter. He's not going to be an ace, but I do think there's something there. And so I think for that reason, for the nerves issue, I think they should bring him back up just to, to, to sort of get him a little bit more experience. So, there are some guys... Nick Gordon is not one. I don't, I don't think we're going to see him because he's been slumping badly. Interesting. In way.
3: Interesting. Interesting. Um... How does Buxton look? And and is the leg kick back is is that correct? Where like where where would you where would you say he's at right now because I mean getting a read on this guy is so difficult. Is he is he at a place where you think it makes sense to to call him up? I I think he's coming up regardless. But I'm just curious about your assessment of his uh, progress since coming back from the DL this last time.
0: The numbers look good? Yep. Uh the leg kick is back. Yes. Uh so you know, it'll probably be gone in another week, but it's back for now. Um, he, he's hitting for some power. He did have, the strikeout rate is still elevated, uh, but his overall numbers are good. He's hitting for a high average. He's, he's hitting for some power. Uh, so I, you know, I think he's getting close to the point where even if it wasn't September, they, they'd bring him back up. Um, but yeah, I mean, we need to see him. They, he needs big league at bats. I, you know, I, if he's healthy, there's, there's absolutely no reason to bring him up. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, getting, he's looking good, I guess. But, you know, it's, he's been back for, what, five games since he, since he was on the DL. So it's hard to really All say right. definitively, but he needs it back.
3: Can you explain the, the leg kick to me? I thought it was originally put in to generate power, which I don't care about now. And, and I know that he and, and Rowson up here worked on it and took it out. So why is it back?
0: That's the million-dollar question. This this has been a a two-year saga uh, with the leg kick. So yeah, Ralston. So he was, if you remember, at the start of 2017, he was having all sorts of trouble making contact, striking out a ton. And Ralston took it out, and he took off. Right. I mean, in the second half of last Mm -hmm. year, he was phenomenal, Um, and he was hitting for power despite not having the leg kick. Uh, And he had it at the start of. uh, I'm sorry, he didn't have it uh, at the start of this year. Um, obviously, I had trouble making contact again. They sent him down. He brought it back. He took it away. Now they bring it back again. Uh, there are some issues there. I, I, I talked, to, I asked Alvy about that, and he said, "Well, you know, it's it's really up to Byron." And 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 I and I said, "Well, are are too many people in his in his head?" Because I, you know, that's sort of my hypothesis is that he's getting so many different Absolutely. people telling him what to do. Absolutely correct. Yeah, and, he, yep. and he's a good guy, and he listens to coaches maybe a little too much. Yep. And Felby said, "Well, you know, I've, he's thought about that, but uh, he doesn't consider that a major issue. And that it's all the same voice, which is do what's right for you. But, but I do think they've they've botched that one maybe a little bit. I, I, I think you got to give him a set plan and say this is what you're doing and stick with it for an extended period of time. So, I don't know. The leg kick is back now. If the leg kick works, it's great because it generates more power." Uh, but we'll see. We'll see if he can make consistent contact. I don't care
3: about power, Jake. I don't care about power. Get on base. Yep. I don't care about hitting home runs. If they come, they come. If they don't, that's fine. Just hit 265 and get on base, and you're and you're a huge threat.
0: Right. So that's it. obviously when, you know, this, the whole launch angle revolution and all that, and I buy into that, but if there's an exception to that rule, it, you know, if there's one Bingo. guy who, would say, hit the ball on the ground yep. and, and even bunt, which is, I know, blasphemy. Uh, for for a lot of people now, but you're out of the club, Jake. Guy.
3: You're fired. You just suggested bunting. You can't yeah. work with
0: Mackey and Wetmore anymore. I know, I know. But but he's the one guy. He's the one guy. Where, and maybe Billy Hamilton would be the other. But well, you'd say just yep. you know, hitting the ball on the ground is not the worst thing in the world for him because obviously he's incredibly fast. So I agree with you. I I think just making contact. If he could make contact consistently. He, you're right. He would be a 260, 270 hitter, and he would have a ton of value.
3: Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Appreciate it. Jake DePue, uh, check out his work, 1500ESPN.com. Uh, does great work for us. Uh, writes predominantly about the Twins minor league system. Right now he's got a column posted about the potential September call-ups. Very interesting that he said Nick Gordon, who slumped badly at Rochester, started the year at AA, might not be on the list of guys to get here September 1st. That would be a bit disappointing. Uh, What's not disappointing is that Phil Mackey will join this show next. We'll be at full strength. We are in, as always, the TCL Broadcast Studios. Don't
5: go anywhere. More Mackey and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN.